Last week, I set a foundation for us, a reminder of how we can get into, enjoy and grow in the presence of God. And this time, I'd like to share some things about how the Psalms can help us in our prayer times. Good morning, Christine. Key. Hello. Good morning, Pat. Nice to have you back with us. Brilliant. The Psalms, they are so familiar to us. We often read aloud from them, don't we, as part of our worship. Some Christians call them the hymn book or the prayer book of the Bible. Brian Simmons, who translated the Passion Bible, calls the Psalms poetry on fire. I love that. So, although Bible scholars still discuss when the Psalms were first put together as a collection, it's generally agreed that Old Testament leaders among the people of Israel made these prayer poems or songs for community use. Mainly David, but also Solomon and Moses and their music makers and their worship leaders. They were made for corporate prayer, for people coming together and for public use. And we know, don't we, there are psalms of worship and praise, psalms of sorrow and lament, psalms as a rallying cry for going up to battle, psalms of railing at God when things go terribly wrong, psalms of repentance, songs for celebration and for ascending the hills towards Mount Zion, towards Jerusalem and the city of God for feast days and temple worship. And sometimes there are psalms where more more than one of these themes is shared within the same psalm, with quite often abrupt changes of emotion and mood. These psalms, these prayer poems, were written to express Israel's special relationship with and hope in God. The Psalms helped to form the Jewish worldview, the spectacles, if you like, the lens through which the children of Israel saw their place and their purpose in their world. And by constant repetition and over many centuries and generations, they came to inhabit, if you like, a Psalm-shaped world. As a people... They understood that even if they hadn't yet seen everything God had planned work out, and even when they erred and they strayed from his ways, God had a special purpose for them as his people. It had to do with Israel's history, its present and its future. There's a strong sense in the Psalms of the past, of the covenants that God made with their forefathers, of the royal line of kings he established in David and Solomon, and of the wars and exiles they experienced in Egypt and Babylon, for example. And of course, there's also a strong sense of looking forward, because one of the great psalm themes is, of course, the coming of the Messiah and all that will be fulfilled through him. More on that theme a bit later. So how do the Psalms work? 
Well, in his great book, Finding God in the Psalms, which I really recommend, Tom Wright describes how the Psalms invite their singers, as they always have, to live at the crossroads of time, space, and matter. Now, this is deep but important. So at the risk of grossly oversimplifying Tom's thinking on this, what he means is that the Psalms invite us to explore the crossroads between our time and God's time. How we and where we understand the present, that's the time we are living in now with all its challenges and opportunities in the light of what God said and did in the past and what is yet to come in order to restore all things to his original purposes. Because when we do take that long perspective, it will change how we live today. And secondly, he invites the reader to explore the crossroads of place or space that we inhabit. We stand, if you like, between our place, our space, earth, leads, and the place where God dwells in eternity or in the heavenly realm, as we often describe it. And thirdly, the Psalms invite us to explore that crossroads between the created order, the material world, as we currently experience it, our physical world, and what creation will be one day, when at last everything is made anew, filled afresh, overflowing with God's glory. What a day that will be. So what Tom Wright is saying, as far as I understand it, is that the Psalms are like a kind of three-dimensional map, helping us to understand the now, the present, in the light of God's past promises, and in the light of what he's going to do in the future. Now, I don't want to read too much into the theology of Harry Potter or upset anyone here by referring to it. But this, this three-dimensional map imagery reminds me a bit of the Marauder's map in Harry Potter. Do you remember when words and pictures on the paper magically materialise on what seems to be a piece of blank parchment, creating the map to Hogwarts, including all the secret passages that are unknown to most people? It shows where everybody is in real time, in three dimensions, all over the castle. And the Marauder's map helped Harry and his friends in their attempts to understand the mysteries and challenges of what was going on. And to fulfil their quest, the map was Harry's rightful property, even though other people tried to take it from him at various times. And its hidden powers were available to him because it had been made by his father and his father's friends and it had come down to him. So the Marauder's map helped him keep moving forward even when he didn't understand the immediate circumstances and wasn't entirely sure what was the bigger plan or the truth. In the same way, I think, the Psalms are our kind of map, our poetry on fire that is sometimes subtly but always pointing us to Jesus as the fulfilment of God's plan, his ultimate fulfilment in history. And from the moment that Jesus fulfilled those psalm prophecies about his death and his resurrection, that map was no longer just for the Israelites, but for all of us. 
so now we're going to maraud. We're going to raid the kingdom of darkness using the psalm maps he's given us because Jesus has defeated death and sin. So, while standing in that posture then at the crossroads of time, space and matter, how do we use the psalms when we pray? Firstly, I would say this, whatever else you're doing, read the Bible. Read the Psalms on a regular basis. Get one of those Bibles that has a bit of the Psalms portioned out for every day. We probably all have got a Gideon Bible somewhere. There's a plan in there. Use it to read the Psalms. As you read them, personalise them. Put yourself in the poems and declare the words out loud. Like this maybe, and Mark's already read this one this morning. Lord, thank you that you are my shepherd. I'm one of your flock, a precious lamb. Thank you that you feed me, guide me and shield me. Thank you that you make me to lie down in green pastures. Thank you that you lead me beside still and restful waters. Thank you that you refresh and restore my life and myself. Here's another one from the beginning of Psalm 91. Because I am seated like royalty on a throne under the shadow of the Shaddai, that is, the God of the mountains, God the destroyer of enemies, God the self-sufficient one, God the nurturer of babies, God the almighty, I am hidden in your strength, God most high. You are the hope that holds me and the stronghold that shelters me. You are the only God for me and my great confidence. You will rescue me from every hidden trap of the enemy and protect me from false accusation and any deadly curse. Can you feel what it does when we declare these truths out loud? For me, they cause confidence and faith to, in God to rise up again, to bubble up. They cause hope to rise in me. So how else can we use the Psalms when we pray? Well, we can sing them. There are many hymns and spiritual songs based on the Psalms. When we keep singing them, we learn them by heart. And when we sing them out, we literally give breath to the truth. It changes the atmosphere around us and in us. We did that this morning. I don't know if you noticed, we sang this, 10,000 Reasons. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Psalm 113, verse 3. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. Psalm 34, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Psalm 103. Worship his holy name. Psalm 29, verse 2. And so on. There's a psalm associated with virtually every word of that song. It's amazing. We can sing them out loud. Then there are some major themes, threads of truth, some powerful themes, if you like, in the Psalms that we can just take hold of and use as a lens to pray through. And I'm going to share on just some of them for the remainder of my talk today. 
the first theme is creation. And again, we praised God for creation, didn't we, this morning in our worship. The Psalms constantly refer to the God who has revealed himself in creation. With the psalmists, we marvel at it, we praise him for it, we get led to think about how we need to care for it. The poetic language, the imagery about creation is incredible in the Psalms. God is revealed in nature and there is so much to thank him for. Reminding ourselves of God's work in creation by reading the Psalms cultivates us in us a heart of worship and thankfulness. Try Psalm 104 for a start. I love creation, apart from slugs and mosquitoes and magpies. I can marvel at it, like Brian Cox and David Attenborough and the millions who watch their programs. But I can't worship it because I'm only made to worship him. Psalm 19 verse 1 says this, God's splendour is a tale that is told. I'm going to read it, sorry, I've just lost my footing. God's splendour is a tale that is told. His testament is written in the stars. Space itself tells his story every day through the marvel of his heavens. That's Psalm 29. Verse 3, the voice of the Lord echoes through the skies and the sea. Psalm 104, verse 2, you wear sunshine like a garment of glory. The other thing about creation is that the Psalms teach us to pray from our place in God's created order. So Psalm 8 refers to God's dealing with mankind. It shows humans to be the crown of his creation. When I gaze at your moon and your stars mounted like jewels in their settings, I know you are the fascinating artist who fashioned it all. When I look up and see such wonder and workmanship above, I have to ask you this question. Compared to all this cosmic glory, why would you bother with puny mortal mankind or be infatuated with Adam's sons and daughters? Yet, what honour you have given to mankind. Created a little lower than the creator God. Crowned like kings and queens with glory and magnificence. You have delegated to them mastery over everything you've made. Making everything subservient to their authority. Placing earth itself under the feet of your image bearers. All the created order and every living thing. That's the position we are to pray from, from authority and stewardship. As God commanded at the beginning of Genesis, we are to go forth, multiply, fill the earth and rule over it or cultivate it, as it says in some translations. And here Psalms is echoing God's original intentions and he hasn't changed his mind. This is our mandate. This is our purpose. This is our maraud, if you like. We are to be the head and not the tail. This is our place on the supernatural map that we are to pray from. When we pray from this perspective, we'll be doing psalm-shaped praying. Another major theme in the psalms is the law of the Lord. 
By this, we mean his commandments and what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls the whole redemptive ways of God, his principles, his will for mankind, which we can discern and live by. For example, Psalm 19, verse 7, God's word is perfect in every way. How it revives our souls. His laws lead us to truth. His ways change the simple people into wise. His teachings make us glad and radiate his light. His rules, his instructions, his precepts are so pure. His commands, how they challenge us to keep close to his heart. The revelation light of his word makes my spirit shine, radiant. Every one of the Lord's commands is right. Following them brings cheer. Nothing he says ever needs to be changed. The rarest treasures in life are found in his truth. That's why I prize God's words like others prize the finest gold. Nothing brings the soul such sweetness as seeking his living words. Do you know? The Psalms are like word honey. Declaring them gives us the strength to obey. Verse 10 tells us that prizing his word is like eating a sweet food that gives us the clarity, the peace, the energy and the strength to keep his ways. But God's laws are not meant to be a heavy burden on us, says 1 John 5. They're not meant to crush us, but to give us wise instruction. See, it's a divine exchange, isn't it? As we bend our will, wills to be lovingly obedient, somehow he gives us the grace and the strength to do it by the Holy Spirit. The more we exercise the bended knee, the easier it gets to bend. And praying out the Psalms oils our spiritual joints and enables that bending. So why was it important for the people of God to remind themselves over and over in their psalm songs and prayers about the law of the Lord. Because they were living alongside and often within alien cultures. <coughs> Other gods were worshipped and ungodly rulers and systems were in charge. And at some times their identity and their very survival as the people of God was threatened. Their country was devastated by war. They were taken as slaves from Israel. They were exiled in foreign countries like Babylon, which is modern day Iraq. Their rights to live under the rule of God were often forbidden to them. Daniel, for example, we know his story, don't we? He was thrown into the lion's den for refusing to obey a religious command to offer no king other than Darius his prayers. Now, other leaders were jealous of Daniel's success in the powerful public position he had. And together, they plotted a trap to get rid of him. Daniel 6 tells us the story. They sought to find occasion to bring accusations against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no occasion or fault, for he was faithful. No error or fault was found. And then said these men, we shall not find any occasion to bring an accusation against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. 
And as you know, the rest of the story, they stitched Daniel up. They set a trap for him by appealing to the king's vanity. They proposed a law to stop anyone praying to any other god or man except the king for a season. King Darius agreed and brought in a royal statute, which couldn't be repealed. But when Daniel heard about it, the Bible says he went into his house and the windows being open towards Jerusalem, his spiritual home, he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks to God, just as he had done previously. So then his so-called colleagues turned Daniel in. They went to the king and had great delight in telling Darius how Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, they reminded him, was praying to his God three times a day. Well, Darius was in a bind, wasn't he? He tried hard to find a way of rescuing Daniel, but he couldn't. The same throng of men continued accusing Daniel on the grounds of the law of the Lord until the king agreed and Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. But next day, out he came. He was miraculously delivered. Darius was delighted and the other men and their whole families were destroyed in the same den. Harsh. But the king declared that in all my royal dominion, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel because he is the living God, God enduring and steadfast forever. God honoured Daniel. This is just one of the deliverances and miracles the Jews who came after Daniel would have had in their mind when they prayed and sang through the Psalms as they encouraged one another to keep the law. And interestingly, some Bible scholars have seen many similarities between the book of Daniel, particularly chapter 9 and the Psalms. It looks like Daniel too used the Psalms as part of his prophetic worship of the Lord. The third major theme I want to talk about today is suffering. And I'm not going to shy away from this one. Sometimes life throws up very painful and impossible circumstances. Sometimes we experience situations that seem beyond what we can do ourselves to fix. Some of us in this church family have been bereaved in this past season and some in a very untimely and difficult way. Some of us in this church family have been refugees exiled by war and terror, who've had to leave their family, their home, their country and all that is familiar behind them and struggle to find a new place to call home and to be accepted. Some of us in this church family have struggled with serious or chronic illness, either our own or that of other people close to us. We've known times when things haven't got better easily times when healing hasn't come quickly. Some of us in this church family have experienced difficulties with neighbours, stress at work, redundancy, financial hardship, children with special needs, cars being written off through no fault of their own, suffering. There are many afflictions in this world. Let's be honest, sometimes bad stuff happens. Lots of good stuff happens too, but sometimes bad stuff happens. And it was no different in Bible days. 
well, maybe not their cars being written off, maybe their chariots and carts. The Psalms don't deny the reality of suffering. They don't gloss over it with religious platitudes. Instead, what we find is lament, an old-fashioned word, which means the passionate expression of grief, regret, and mourning, often in music, poetry, or song. We find laments all over the Psalms, Psalms 13, 31, 35, 41, 44, 54, 55 and 6, 61, 74, amongst others. Sometimes the psalm writers can't see beyond their suffering. But nevertheless, they bring it all before the Lord as they cry out to him. No single person can pray the psalms out of just their own personal experience, says Bonhoeffer. Instead, what the psalms unfold before us is the anguish of the entire community for all time, including the utmost suffering experienced by Jesus himself, which is foretold in so many of the psalms, such as Psalm 22. God's ways are often beyond our understanding. Question... Why do righteous people suffer injustice and the godless go free and prosper? That came up in my office, that question, this week. Why did God allow the Jews to become like sheep for the slaughter over and over again? As Psalm 44 cries out, why does a good and gracious God allow bad things to happen to his followers? But even in despair, there's never an appeal to anyone except God in the Psalms. The writers struggle with God. They rail, they complain, but ultimately their struggle is for God alone. Not to turn their suffering into self-pity or turn their backs on him, but to continue to find him in the middle of it all. When suffering comes... As his children, that's our struggle too, to find him in the middle of it all. So, can I encourage us to praise and to worship this week for creation and to position ourselves from that place that God gives us in it? As we do, we'll be living from that psalm-soaked perspective. And can I encourage us to remind ourselves of his laws of his ways, and to ask for grace and help to live them. Let's pray psalm-soaked prayers for Holy Spirit help. And can I invite you to weep and to question and even rail at God in your suffering, but still to turn to Jesus for comfort and strength and renewal in your time of trouble. Use the psalms to do that. And let's do it for one another. Let's laugh with those who laugh and celebrate with those who are celebrating. But let's also not be ashamed to weep with those who are suffering when it's appropriate, when there aren't any easy answers. He is, the psalm says, a very present help in times of trouble. And as we do, we'll be singing and we'll be crying psalm-soaked tears. Shall we just pray? 
Father, we thank you for the amazing truth and revelation of your word. We thank you for these ancient hymns, poems and prayers in the Psalms. Father, help us. Help us this week as we seek to turn our hearts towards you in praise and in worship. To turn our wills and our knees to bend before you in obedience to growth. And to turn our heart to you if we weep, if we're sad, to bring our lament before your throne and to receive your comfort and your grace for the days. Lord God, thank you that you meet us where you are. You don't expect us to be false, but you ask us to seek your face and you will meet with us in your presence. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone. And we also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. We give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we, we love. love.